Hi, my name is Roy Collin and welcome to the show. I've also got five podcasts, The Awakening Podcast, Exposing Fraud and Corruption, but with Solutions, The Crypto Podcast, talking about all things blockchain, NFTs, crypto, The Meditation Podcast, talking about all different types of meditation, but there's also meditations there from one minute to two hours. And the other one is the Learn Polish Podcast, so if you're interested in learning Polish, you can do that. And the other one is speaking with Roy Collin, and I just have guests from around the world talking about either public speaking or also about their book or just general life in general. And you'll find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. I'm also a podcasting coach. And you see the QR code there, and it's also on my link as well. And if you're interested in actually going on some podcast shows, I'm helping people doing that. Or if you're interested in sponsorship, you can contact me. And I'd like to thank my sponsor, danielpacker.com. He helps people with anxiety, stress, and addictions. He's got a 90% success rate, and you only pay if you're successful. So be sure to check him out, danielpacker.com. I hope you enjoy this week's show. Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You can find all the episodes on speakingpodcast.com. My guest today, ex-paramedic, holistic nutritionist, specializing in gut health. And why that's important to me is a good business partner and friend is seriously suffering from gut health and also my mother. And I know I would love that they could get it resolved because they're they're suffering for years. So please welcome Dosh, Josh Dick. <laughs> It's a pleasure to be here, Roy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So, I mean, let's let's just kind of delve into it because I have a friend that's a ex paramedic as well. That is a hard job. Like that's it. Like of all the jobs that I kind of go, oh, that's what because what you witness and everything, it's it, it's kind of you're going to see kind of very harsh things. Do they train you for kind of what you're going to be seeing while you're working? They do. I mean, we're going through school. They kind of prepare you. You get a lot of textbooks and images and things like that. And in schooling, preceptorship or riding in the ambulances is part of that. So where I went to school, the first, the second semester, the first year, it was like 50 hours or something. It wasn't a lot of ambulance hours. But then the second year, the second semester, or the first semester was a fair bit, but the second semester was all of it. That's all we did was just be in the units and be in the ambulances. So yeah, you get a fair bit of exposure, but it just depends on the calls. The vast majority of what we saw was medical. So heart disease, strokes, diabetes, unconscious. I wouldn't say in the cities, trauma is quite as common, but we do see a fair bit of that type of stuff. And I really did. I loved it, but it just... People for sick diseases and sicknesses that could be largely prevented. And so now that I'm in the healthcare space, we're more preventative healthcare. We're actually helping people live longer because otherwise you pick them up in the ambulance, you see them week after week until they just die and stop calling for the diseases that could have been reversed. And so now we get to do that instead. But what kind of made you get into that? Was that something, what did you study? Why did you decide to get into this field? Well, paramedics was something that always interested me, but that shift to the proactive versus reactive healthcare was a bit of happy accidents. You know, I moved across the country. I was looking for a new job that paid better, better location. I was working in a rural town. So it was, it was quite small for the most part. And the pay was crap. You know, the hours were terrible. I was on call seven days a week. It was just, it was just a lot of hard work and uh, not afraid of working hard but I don't like not sleeping. <laughs> so I've had a couple of those three, four days in a row. We don't catch more than two hours at a time. And it's really, really hard on the body. So I moved across the country, picked up a job in personal training while I was looking for this other paramedics job. And I fell in love with it. This is, you know, over 10 years ago now. And one of my first clients who came to see me named Lynn, 
She was 57 years old. She took 17 pills and insulin for breakfast. She had nine pills and more insulin for bedtime. She had medications during the day. She had a CPAP machine, high blood pressure, and she was actually on the disability list at work. And so we started working together by 59. She was off all but two medications. She needed them just because of a surgery she had done. And that was it. So she dropped 24 medications. Her blood pressure was perfect. Didn't need CPAP. And she'd run up and down the stairs, 26 flights at work every day, instead of taking the elevators and being on disability. And I quickly learned like the body can heal itself. And so the more I got involved in this world over the years following, the more I realized there's just more to it. And I heard someone talking about the gut and gut bacteria and what the microbiome actually is. And the things they started saying, they hit me so hard. I thought it was love at first sight. Like that is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And I was just hooked and I got involved in the gut and I started working in gut disease and I met a need. More people came, came to see me for more and more severe things. And now I specialize in Crohn's and colitis, which is some of the worst gut disease you can have. And that's where we're at now. Um, like... When you see how it can be reversed, it must be frustrating that, and I think some of them have been brainwashed by the system, the doctors that are prescribing a lot of these tablets. But what I hate is when they find out somebody has cured and they give them the reason and they go, oh, that's good. And they don't tell the percentage of their clients that would actually benefit from, from this. They'll just prescribe the next day the pill, one, mm -hmm. because of the kickbacks, and two, I don't know, is it their belief system that they just, they, they don't say. So when you see that, it must be very frustrating. Well, it is. I mean, the Western medical system, the Westernized system, operates under the guise and the idea that the body makes mistakes, and the only thing we can do is patch it with drugs and hope for the best, and that's it. That these, de these degrading diseases or progressive diseases just happen because our body sucks rather than looking at the root causes of disease, right? Food, chemical toxin exposure, vitamin, mineral deficiencies, bacterial imbalances. These are at the roots for all disease, particularly autoimmune disease. But instead we just give drugs that mask the symptoms. It's no different than going to the hospital with a thorn stuck in your hand and it's swollen and bloody and infected. And all they do is give you ointment for the pain you'd be pretty pissed off. Like you can clearly see there's a thorn causing the inflammation. When we have inflammation inside the body, we don't see it the same. We think, oh, my body's just screwing up. And it doesn't work that way. When we can reframe how we see the body, we can finally then understand that there's more to this picture and the body can begin healing itself. We just have to give it the conditions to do so. So you said uh, you specialize in colitis, I believe. Yeah, were... uh, Crohn's and colitis, ulcerative colitis. So you might, for those that wouldn't know, you might explain what they are. Absolutely. So where most of us, I would say, are familiar with IBS or irritable bowel syndrome. And that's where, you know, typically associated with some loose bowels right? 10 to 15 bathroom trips a day, some urgency, discomfort, foods bother your stomach, you get bloaty and gassy. The other end of that IBS spectrum is really slow bowels, where instead of having 10, 15 bowel movements a day, maybe you're having one every three or four days. So we see that both, right? A little bit of constipation, a little bit of diarrhea. But if we continue that severity, right? Picture it like you're wearing a pair of shoes without socks and you're going for a long walk and your heel starts to rub and it gets red and blistered and bleeds. That's sort of what happens from this low-grade irritation, which is IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, all the way till the degradation happens 
till we have blood in the stool. I've had people come in with 30, 40, 50 bowel movements a day on the severe end of things. And they're just, they're chained to the toilet. They're wearing adult diapers. They have severe anxiety, urgency, and pain like childbirth when they, when they have a bowel movement. And that's a severe end of the spectrum. And so it's all about spectrum of severity. And that's really the difference here. Again, to reiterate, Western medicine goes, oh, well, here's this disease. It just is what it is. We don't identify how the disease got here. We just label it and then put a cap on it. And so all inflammatory diseases or digestive issues we're having, it has to come back to what is the root? What stimulated this? We know, Roy, that inflammation, inflammation is a good thing, right? If you cut yourself, you know that turns red and gets swollen around the area because your body is bringing blood, bringing immune cells to the area to try to heal you. But when our guts are inflamed or our joints are inflamed, we think, oh, my body's screwed up. I just have this disease. No, no, no. Why is it inflamed? What is it trying to heal you from? And what is causing the inflammation in these areas? We always have to ask why. Once we do that, we find the thorn, we pull it out, the body can heal itself. And I mean, what I've seen just with friends and that I mentioned at the start is like it, it affects the brain as well. Because like when, when they've got issues, they're not sleeping well. And then like some days then it's like brain fog and you just even know in the conversations they're not themselves and there's a lot of side effects even though it's happening in the gut but it's affecting the whole body the whole mind your whole life is going to in turmoil everything i mean your gut it's called the second brain for a reason right in utero while you're like still a fetus in the womb your brain and your gut are made from the same cells they split apart and they create these different things but it's the same tissues and you actually have a nervous system in your gut. We know the central nervous system, the brain, spinal cord, or the peripheral nervous system is all the nerves that run down your arms and legs and everywhere else. But then you have your enteric nervous system, which is all the nerve tissue within your gut, hundreds of millions of neurons, upwards of approximately 400 million nerve, these neurons inside of your gut. So we all know what a gut reaction is or a gut instinct is, right? Because they're tied to the same thing. Now, we have to also look, not only are they connected, so inflammation in one can affect another in many ways, but up to 90% of your neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, these, these chemicals that help your brain stay focused, help keep you happy, in a good mood, keep you concentrated, the reward system, they're made in the gut and they're utilized through the brain as well. And so if your gut screwed up, Right? Imagine having a factory trying to produce cars, but there's holes in the roof and the, the assembly lines are all dilapidated. You're not going to get the product of the end result you're looking for. You're not going to have a good working car. In the same way, if your gut's all beat up and it's all inflamed, the production of these neurotransmitters isn't going to be there. You can develop ADHD, depression, anxiety, etc. But then it goes around the rest of the body. If we look at the small intestine, that barrier where things actually pass through, that's where you break down, digest, and absorb, right? You chew food, you swallow, goes into the stomach, makes its way to the small intestine where things get further digested and broken down. And so if you have inflammation in that area, it's only one cell thick between your intestine and your blood. So things pass through very easily if they go through the right channels. But if you're inflamed, those cells actually spread apart. Common term is leaky gut. And things get through that shouldn't. Large pieces of food. You can see a piece of chicken in somebody's blood, for example. It's, it's a molecule, but it's too big of a molecule. Uh, we can see that in somebody's blood. Or if there's inflammation and bacterial imbalances, they create these certain toxins which leak into the blood. And they get to your lymphatic system, they get to your blood, which are the superhighways around the body. 
And so we wonder why we have skin issues or arthritis or issues with our breath. We have microbiomes everywhere. They all communicate. And these imbalances starting in the gut get around the rest of the body through your blood and lymphatics and communication pathways and wreak havoc everywhere. Like eating habits, because we know all the toxins in the food, but we'll get to that later. But a lot of people, they're gulping their food down or they're watching the telly and they're not really paying attention. So like if you kind of get into mindful eating and chewing properly, that it becomes like a paste. Mm -hmm. That obviously has helped. Is there much like is that much of a cause by actually just gulping your food down and not digest, not, not chewing it properly? Oh, huge. Yeah. I mean, imagine. All right, you know the saying of a bowl in a china shop, right? The, pic the picture is that a bowl is not going to be graceful going through a china shop. They're going to knock everything over and break it all apart. And the same thing happens inside your gut. It's all very delicate. It's a very perfect, beautiful, delicate ecosystem with about 100 trillion bacteria, which make up 2 to 3% of your entire body weight. So if you're 200 pounds, that's 4 to 6 pounds in bacteria, right? So it's this very delicate ecosystem, very gentle, soft tissues. And so we don't chew our food properly, right? We always talk about what to eat. We know eating, you know, real food, not eating fast food. We understand that part for the most part, but how we eat. So absolutely chewing your food into smallest, finest bits. There are stages of digestion. So you chew the food into this very mushy, almost applesauce texture. You swallow it. It gets into the stomach. The acid churns and moves things around. The stomach churns things until you break it down even further, mixing with different digestive juices. Then it moves to the small intestine where these little finger-like projections and tiny little molecules and enzymes and bacteria start to break it down even further. Now, if you take a whole piece of food and you swallow it like a pelican and it drops in, it's not small enough to get to that area. Now you've got a bowl in a china shop and now you can create irritation, inflammation, all kinds. And what does your body do when there's something that it wants to get out? It creates leaky gut, right? It deliberately creates leaks in the body or in the intestines to draw water in, to create loose bowels, to whoosh, flush things out. I'm sure you've all experienced that or many people have experienced eating something in like 10 minutes, they're in the bathroom going, oh, that didn't agree with me because your body identified that and said, hey, that's a problem. It opened the floodgates, drew water into the bowel to try to flush it out. And this is going to gross some people out. But if you look in the toilet after a bowel movement, sometimes you can see whole pieces of food. Whether it was a chunk of meat, you can see sometimes pills if your digestion is bad enough. You can see like the pieces on like the heads of broccoli, those florets, because they didn't digest properly. And that's a transit issue and a digestion issue. We have to know where that's coming from. But uh, how we eat, yes, sit down, slow down, take a couple breaths, chew your food. That, that old rule grandma used to say 20, 30 times, that actually matters. Because even that process, not only does it prevent large pieces of food from getting into the intestines, but that process of actually chewing and grinding the food stimulates more digestive juices. It actually stimulates that movement we call peristalsis, which is that movement of food through the intestines. And so by actually touching and cooking your own food, slowing down and breathing, you put yourself into rest in digest mode, which is the opposite of fight or flight, which stimulates digestive properties and gets everything moving as it should. I mean, staying on that kind of topic, because, you know, you heard the keto diet and all these different things, but what I've heard is like mixing, say, a meat with poppies, chips or rice isn't good because the digestive is different. So you could have, say, the meat with vegetables 
what what's your thoughts on that is that can that be the problem that you're kind of putting two different kind of food sources into your body um that's something we call food combining in the conventional nutritionist world it's not something so again I, I work in Crohn's and colitis primarily so I see some of the worst gut disease and even with the most severe I rarely see food combining being something very useful there's some merit to it where some people will say yeah don't combine meat and berries or don't combine you know this and that food and it really depends on the individual, but I don't find it in my practice to be something that I worry about nearly as much as some people might. Um, for me, it's kind of one of those bottom of the totem pole. If nothing else is working, let's give it a shot type of things. Now, if somebody notices that you're, whenever you combine certain foods, you're having problems, maybe pay attention. We have to dig into what that is, but I believe a healthy digestive system should be able to eat as long as it's healthy food, whatever it wants in combination without much issue. And like you mentioned the baby before in the womb, I I don't know where I read, was it a gut book or what? But uh, I read that because they do a lot of sections now, they're kind of been pushing sections all the time. And I heard that the natural birth, that the bacteria goes into the child and it's supposed to be a lot better for the child. And just wondering, have you come across that? Absolutely. So we talked about the gut microbiome briefly, and I'll dive into this a little bit. The gut biome, we have microbiomes everywhere. Right, it's just, a microbiome just means a tiny ecosystem. So all these bacteria, like I said, about four to six pounds or three to five pounds, the average adult living in your gut. But those microbiomes exist everywhere. You have a different microbiome in your large intestine than your small intestine, than your stomach. You have a different microbiome in your mouth, orally, vaginally, rectally, on your hair, your scalp, your eyes. Like they all have their own individual little microbiomes that change from place to place. But they're all like neighborhoods in one city that kind of communicate and work together. And so when we are born, this is where our microbiome sets in. Now, I'm not, I'm pretty confident that anybody listening to this podcast is not a baby, but this is good information to understand how things develop. And so your bacteria, we used to think that the womb was sterile, meaning just no bacteria, no life, just human cells. And that's not true. We know it's teeming with life and microbes and you get those from your mom. Now, what's really interesting is we get those microbes, they come into the they come into the womb, they come into the placenta, they circulate around, they come into the blood, they're everywhere. And so it's actually inside of our body. In fact, 30, I think it's 36% of all metabolites or byproducts in our blood are actually byproducts of bacteria. Well, mom and baby also share blood, right? That's what the umbilical cord is. It's this back and forth passing of blood. And so that's where the microbes start. Now, once you're born, there's a big difference from C-section to a vaginal birth. Coming through the birth canal naturally actually covers you head to toe inside your eyes, ears, even your mouth. You get covered in these bacteria. And that is the first seeding, like planting a meadow. It's that first grass seeding where things can start to grow. It's very delicate, but it starts to grow over the years and can really set in like a thumbprint between three and five years old. And so that's the first bit is that inoculation through the birth canal. The second inoculation is actually through breastfeeding. And this is so important. Our microbes are so important to our health. We'll get into some of that here in a sec. But it's important to know that babies who are strictly bottle fed versus strictly breastfed are twice as likely to die from sudden infant death syndrome known as SIDS. They're more likely to get diabetes, inflammatory conditions, to be obese, to have all these problems, autoimmune arthritis and juvenile arthritis than babies who are breastfed. Because that first three days, you get these, this colostrum that comes in through the milk and that lines the entire insides of the intestines like a turf, more seeding for that meadow. Now you got the fertilizer coming in. 
And as that grass starts to grow over a year or two years of being breastfed, there's more probiotics, more nutrients, more things coming from mom that the baby then inoculates with. And something called transfer factor as well, which quite literally transfers a lot of the immunological knowledge, like taking software from one computer and putting it onto another, that transfers through breast milk to baby. And this is why babies who don't have this are so much more likely to be sick because they don't have this immune system. They don't have these bacteria. Your bacteria, I argue, are more important than your DNA. In some instances, we only have 23,000 genes in the entire human genome, but your 100 trillion bacteria between them share about 3 million different genes. So it's really quite immense. And so we look at this as time goes on. These bacteria grow like a meadow, growing into a forest. New life comes in, new animals, new everything. So through the foods we eat, the things we expose ourselves to, other kids in daycare as we grow up and get jobs and go to school, we get more microbes introduced to different types of food. And if we nurture them properly, we have extremely resilient immune systems. And so much so, Roy, um, there's a doctor who says, I, I forget his name, it's uh, Dr. Schoenfeld at Tel Aviv University. And he says, we are born 99% human cells. 1% of that is microbes. By the time we die, we're 90% microbes and only 10% human cells. And so the question is, are we microbes having a human experience or humans sharing a body with microbes? It's really quite bizarre when we think about it, but we are mostly bacteria and you know, viruses and fungi, and all kinds of little microbes that communicate and work together to make a human being. Fascinating. And like, I remember when I was younger, I go to the doctor and it was like antibiotics, antibiotics. And I see it all the time. And it's like, mm -hmm. I haven't taken antibiotics. For, I don't know, 10, 15, I don't know, even more. It's like, just don't do it anymore. But I see even with the people that I mentioned there at the start, like they're put them on antibiotics. And I know that's not good. That kills the good bacteria. And I just like mm -hmm. to free it to touch on that. Yeah. So antibiotics are really non-selective. Some are, some can be more specific, but the reality is that antibiotics do a very good job of killing bacteria, but they don't select between the good and the bad, right? They'll just kind of kill everything as needed. And so that's a big challenge. If we want to see these meadows properly, we want our gut biomes, this microbiome, this ecosystem to grow, to flourish and to thrive, to make a healthy human being who's resilient to disease, it's connected to everything, weight loss, detoxification, hormones, the works. And we're taking antibiotics. We're disrupting the ecosystem. You're dropping bombs in the neighborhood. And then we wonder why this neighborhood doesn't function like it should. Why supply chains get cut off? Why water shuts off in these houses? Why is my body getting sick? Why do I now have skin issues? Why do I constantly get the flu? Why do I have arthritis? It's because we've dropped bombs into the neighborhoods that are responsible for harmony. And so when it ta we talk about these sicknesses, antibiotics, not going to argue. They save lives, right? The invention of penicillin was a remarkable way to go about things, but we didn't really even know bacteria existed until 1856. That was the first time. Um, that actually came, anybody who's gone to medical school have heard the story of Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis. Uh, he was a Hungarian physician. And what he did, he observed two pediatric wards and he noticed the wards were just, or just uh, midwives and priests 
had a, a death rate of moms and babies five times lower than those that were doctors and nurses. And what he found is that these doctors in these wards were actually going and doing autopsies and dealing with infections and touching people with all these tools, not washing their hands, right? They come back and touch baby or touch babies and you know, who are being delivered in moms and moms would get sick and die of what they called childbed fever. They had no idea why. Well, we now know it was staph infections and other uh, bacteria. But Dr. Semmelweis said, well, why don't we try washing our hands? We'll sterilize with whatever they use, iodine and alcohol in the works. And they thought he was crazy. But the death rate was five times lower in the wards that did wash their hands. And so we've only known about bacteria since the 1850s, which means it wasn't until I believe the early 1900s when penicillin was first invented, maybe late 18s, early 19s. And so we thought, well, all bacteria is bad, clearly. So let's just kill it. It wasn't until the 90s, 80s, 90s, we started looking, okay, what's this microbiome thing? And it didn't even gain traction until 15 years ago, 10 years ago in the mainstream. So we are still, as a society as a whole, just learning that bacteria matters. We have good and we have bad. Right through to the 90s, doctors are still taught, kill bacteria, bacteria is bad. Here's antibiotics, and they just nuke everything off the face of the earth. And so in the holistic practice, what we want to do is I'm a big fan of herbs and plant-based medicine. There have been demonstrations showing the power of oregano over things like penicillin or amoxicillin, these common antibiotics being in some cases more potent. But we also know not only do they kill these bad bacteria, but they can also support the good in the right context. And so whereas antibiotics, pharmaceuticals kill everything, plant-based, herb-based, are very selective or tend to be more selective where they kill the bad and support the good. So it's a very stark contrast on how we treat the human body and what respect we pay to our microbiomes as we take care of antibiotics. I um I heard you talking about mold infection of and mm -hmm. I kind of was like, oh, I didn't know was it on one of your Instagram or one of the different things, your Facebook, but mold infection in the gut. Like I kind of, yes. I mean, we'd hear mold on the wall and stuff like that. So you may kind of let us kind of, that was a bit strange to hear that. Yeah. So that's a great question. So one of the leading causes, and this is again, where Western medicine goes wrong. Look at Crohn's and colitis or any bowel disease. Again, this is just the spectrum of severity on the severe end. You're 50 bowel movements with blood and pain on the low end. You're a bit bloated. But the idea is we look at mold on the walls, right? Or mold in food. We see that fuzzy stuff starting to grow. Well, these types of fungi, they actually produce toxins. And these are called mycotoxins, just a fancy word for mold toxins or mold spores. And when we inhale them or ingest them, they can actually get in and they cause a bunch of stimuli in the immune system. They can throw off your gut bacteria. They can cause inflammation and leaks in the gut leading to these issues. And so when mold toxicity gets into the gut, it's one of the major causes I see for inflammatory bowel disease in my practice is mold. And so it gets into the digestive system and it changes the landscape of the bacteria in the gut. So instead of having a really nice balance of good or bad, because even bad bacteria have a place in that ecosystem, but it changes the favor and increases the bad, more inflammation, which bad bacteria love, decreases all the good guys. And now we have problems in our gut. We have this, this state called dysbiosis or gut imbalances, plus your immune system's overdriven. And so one of the four legs of autoimmune disease is exactly that chemical or toxin exposure. And if we're exposed to these mycotoxins, we're now ramping up the immune system, increasing inflammation, increasing these responses. And this is a large reason why people get so sick. So, and with 
I don't know, are you familiar with Royal Raymond Rife in the 30s? You know, so like mm. he had a frequency device that, you know, say cancer cells and stuff like that. But he also, I remember reading that he had like a, a microscope that was, I don't know what multiple it was, but it took him till the 1990s before they could get to that level. And he was able to see all the back there. And they knew it was true because of the drawings that he had done and everything. But unfortunately, because he was, it seemed like he was one of the good guys, they shut him down and they kind of made him look like, you know, he was a problem. And I'm just curious that, like, is that something that you're, you've delved into with, like, using frequencies to kill the bad cells that we need to get rid of? Yeah, really interesting question, and one that nobody's actually asked me before. I've always brought it up on my own. So it's not something that I've done in my own practice, but I've seen and read a lot about it. We see there, you can, there's TED Talks about it. There's all kinds of YouTube content about it and stuff going back to Nikola Tesla, where they were using sound frequency to break cancer cells at a certain amount of hertz or a certain frequency. Um, it has been shown. And we know, everybody knows about the opera singer who can break the glass, right? With a certain frequency. Well, that happens on the same level on a molecular cellular level. We can see these membranes actually bursting using sound and sound frequency. Now, my theory on this one, and it's not much of a theory, if we actually follow the data, we can see where it came from. Uh, back in the late 1800s with the Industrial Revolution, with the Rockefeller Empire, there's actually a small documentary, if you look the right way, called Rockefeller Medicine. And they had all these byproducts of waste from oil and petroleum, and they realized that they, this petroleum can be upcycled. And that upcycling is where these first pharmaceuticals really came from. Since then, it's been driven up to say, okay, here's what the drugs do, this and that. They brought the medical system, brought doctors in to review everything. And all this herbal natural stuff that we've been using for thousands of years, documented back thousands of years, was labeled quackery. And so herbs and all that stuff was just abolished. And there's a great book. I forget exactly the name. I really got to look it back up. It's something like for flora and fauna or forest and something. Uh, but it actually came out during the American Civil War. And this book was just about all the plants in the Carolinas that they would use, the Carolinas in the uh, United States, that they would use as medicine. And this doctor started using this. His mom used to do it. And so he pulled all the stuff, grabbed her recipes for tinctures and for um, you know salves and balms. And they figured that this, these plants were so effective at helping people heal, it may have extended the war by an extra two or three years just because people were healing so much faster. And so we know plant medicine in all cultures across the world works very, very well. But over here in North America, especially or westernized cultures, it's called quackery and we're not allowed to use it or people, you know, uh, decide to go to pharmaceuticals instead, which often have uh, much, much, much worse side effects. Okay. And when you do get the, the name of the book, you might send it to me and I'll make sure I'll put it in the actual, the links of the show notes, because yeah. that's something that I I definitely want to get myself if it's still available. I mean, I find that the good books disappear. It's hard to get them with. Yes. Like, this is something that I kind of learned later, later on in life that if just sitting on the toilet, because what I, what I was told is that the body isn't kind of at a right angle and I was advised to get like a stool kind of thing it's, it's, it, that, that you put your feet on. And I found it made a big difference. And I'm just curious that how is, has that got something to, to, to do as well that, you know, people are kind of sitting at a bad angle. <laughs> it was not the best of subjects, but the reality is something, something like that could cause, cause uh, effects as well. Well, theoretically, it's it's one of those things that's always worth considering if nothing else is working. Um, but some of the things we have to look at, 
really keep in mind here is that your intestines don't just float around in the animus, right? They're not just attached to nothing. They actually have connective tissue that sort of supports them. And so that tissue connects the tissue, which connects to more tissue. It's the same reason somebody might have, you know, tight hips and tight adductors or like inner thigh muscles. It can actually be like the jaw. If you loosen the jaw, sometimes that can loosen up because it all goes in chains and links. Everything in the body is connected, be it organs and hormones and blood or muscles. They're all connected through these chains. And so somebody who's dealing with ankle pain over time might compensate and develop shoulder pain because of it, because that chain has been, you know, um, uh, maligned. And so theoretically, the same thing can happen. If you're somebody who's very tight, you're inactive, that can cause poor mobility and motility through the gut for sure, which can lead to poor digestion and hyperfermentation. Um, it's always worth considering. We also know that exercise is a good part of getting blood flow, of healing, of better hormones, and also better digestion and microbiome diversity or microbiome health in the gut. So exercise and movement has a huge part of it for a number of reasons. It's absolutely something we shouldn't ignore. In the cases of severe gut disease, it may not be my first go-to, but it is very important. And with food then, because like say bread, I heard that they modified the wheat. That's, that's why there's so many people suffering. I mean, me personally love bread, I've noticed that in different countries, it's totally different. But if I eat bread, I look like I'm six months pregnant and this or mm. pasta, it just, unfortunately, and I know a lot of people kind of suffer with that, but also like I've seen some of the sh things that you've talked about, even with the Gatorade and stuff like that for the stuff that they're putting that children are having and loads of stuff in America is banned in Europe, which is, it's insane mm. that they actually allow that. But like, if we touch on kind of the foods that people are having that, you know, like, you can't trust the government anymore. You have to kind of look after yourself and kind of, if you can't, I think, I think there was one where you, was it, I don't know, melon, it was some fruit anyway, and you, you're going through it and looking at all the different ingredients on it. And like, it's insane that people just kind of say, it's grand, they don't even accept this. And you have to, if you don't understand what the ingredient is, don't be putting it in your body. But like, mm -hmm. The whole food system has been infiltrated, unfortunately, because it's like oh, they yes. want us to be suffering. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the entire system, you look at how the CEOs move around. They go from the FDA to the pharmaceutical companies to the big news. Like it's, it's just one big incestuous pool of people moving from CEO position to CEO position, getting paid off here and there. And so the entire system is so corrupt, unfortunately. And so the FDA, that's the um, uh, in the United States, that's the Food and Drug Administration, they approve things that have been untested. They actually put them on a list called GCS or generally considered safe. And so if we can't, it's innocent till proven guilty. We don't know for sure it causes a problem. They'll test this chemical individually and we say, yeah, it's fine. We have over 8,000 different artificial chemicals being approved for use in foods every single year. There's over 100,000 of them in our foods now. And the pesticide usage, if you compare the UK to the US, right? There's something like 50% more toxic pesticides approved for use in the US than there is in the UK. We have things that are known to cause genetic disruption, DNA damage, which inflammation, causing cancers and all kinds of stuff. They're like, yeah, well, in these amounts, it's fine. And we're testing these chemicals individually and we're not testing them in combination. We're not testing them long-term. It's like, here's this much in this dose. Well, great. Who eats five raspberries and calls it a day? I'm eating the whole container. And if I eat a container three days a week, now what's my dose? And so they're not really considered and then the testing is so arbitrary and the things that get approved, it's just, 
big food, big pharma, they're all in bed together and they just approve things to make more money, which drives up the insurance bill. And now healthcare is worth $4.5 trillion a year in the United States. And so it's a very scary system where if we don't advocate for ourselves. We will look at a bag of mango. Um, that's what I was talking about on my Facebook page there. It had sunset yellow FCF and tartrazine and sulfites and added sugar. I'm like, it's mango. There's enough sugar. And it was this crystally jelly stuff. So it's this fully processed. It's not even resembling food. And there are some people who go, wow, that's disgusting. And others who go, yeah, well, it's not that big of a deal because this study said these sulfites are fine. I'm like, well, this study says they're directly linked to cancer and we've never had these in our foods for the last 40 years. And now we have diseases we didn't have 40 years ago. So you do the math. And so it's just a little bit of common sense and critical thinking. The challenge is a lot of medical doctors, even gut specialists like GI doctors will say, eat whatever you want. Food has no bearing on your gut health, which is crazy. So your, your, your podcast, you've... Um... Uh, reversible is uh, the name of it, yeah? It's, uh, you That's might, right. Yeah, you might let people know what, what exactly that you're covering. I mean, obviously you're covering what we're discussing, but you're getting different specialists coming in to be guests, yeah. Yeah, so it's called Reversible. That's Reverse Able, the ultimate gut health podcast. And we do exactly that. We talk every week, every Tuesday, we release an episode about the gut. What does it do? How does it work? What influences it? We answer questions. How do I get rid of gas and bloat? How do I fix IBD? How do I deal with whatever problem? And they're just questions submitted by our listeners. And we, we do those every single week. And we also do an interview every week with some kind of expert talking about how something is linked to your gut. We've had plastic surgeons talking about how healing responses are connected to your gut, how anxiety and depression connects to your gut, what we can do about it, what food and nutrition, all kinds of things. We've had homesteaders and farmers talk about food quality and just a really cool array of things to ensure you have a healthy gut because we know all diseases, capital bolded underlined, all diseases begin in the leaky gut. And so if we can take care of that first, we can have a healthy rest of our body. I did want to get back to you, Roy. That book is called Resources of the Southern Fields and Forests, written by Francis Pierre Porche. Okay. So okay. that's on recording, Resources of Southern Fields and Forests. And it's an old book, and it's got illustrations and different uses for herbs and what they do. And um, you can go through and see, you can look them up and see what the uses were 100, 200 years ago versus what we might use them for today. And it's, it's really quite neat. Okay, excellent. So I know you like with the different people you deal with, there's all different things that could do, but there's probably a common denominator that kind of covers 80%. So like, I mean, obviously people can go hire you or hire somebody that's doing, and I, I believe you've got a kind of, you don't resolve, you don't pay a kind of a guarantee system as well. Is, is, is that correct? That, that it's like, yeah. Yeah, so we have a service guarantee on our programs. Like you come through, get through the program, get fixed, or we will just continue working with you forever until we do. And so we are very good at finding root causes. Um, and that's something that, you know, unfortunately people don't look for. Sometimes it takes more time. I had people come in with disease for 16, 20 years even. And they've come out after three weeks. They've gone from 40 plus bowel movements a day down to five and eight a day in just three weeks when every drug under the sun didn't work. We've had other people, where they've gone from 16 years to fully reversed, no signs, every scan, every blood work, every colonoscopy, they're clear after a few months. It really just depends on the individual. But uh, yeah, so we, we do have a program for that, people dealing with inflammatory bowel disease. So for those, because I'm always conscious that sometimes, especially the way the world has gone, some people are barely able to put food or 
what kind of things that that if they can't afford the service or hire somebody to help because it's what things can people be doing that will help them that you've seen well the biggest thing it absolutely is food. We have to manage that. We have, like I said, four main pillars of this chronic inflammatory autoimmune or digestive disease. So the first one is food, what you're eating and how you're eating. And we can get into a whole thing on nutrition. You could look it up on YouTube. You'll find stuff. Uh, my vote, I'm nonpartisan. I do prefer myself animal-based diets, more meat, more eggs, those types of things. Um, I eat a lot of that. Most of my clients do as well. They feel fantastic doing it. And so diets, number one, as long as you're eating well, and the diet industry will tell you, well, you know, don't eat oatmeal. Oatmeal is bad. Don't eat eggs. Eggs are bad. If it comes from the earth and it grows, eat it. You're probably fine. Keep a log. If you feel gross, don't eat it. It's that simple. And so we can really break food down simply. But that's number one. What you're eating, how you're eating. Are you in rest and digest mode or in fight or flight? Are you putting five kids into the car, shuttling them off to soccer practice and swallowing something whole just to fill your belly on the way out the door? That can be a big one. Maybe we have a smoothie instead. Maybe we just skip that meal. That's okay too. Being hungry is not that bad. And so that's number one, food. The second one is chemical and toxin exposure. And so we have to look around. How much plastic How much plastic are you eating out of? Are you drinking out of? These things matter. How many chemicals are in your deodorant, your hair products? The average female puts 180 some odd chemicals on their body every day through perfumes, through makeup, through products, shampoos. The average male is almost 100 chemicals a day. And so these things matter. They change your hormone profiles. They get into your gut. They absorb through your skin. Your skin is a major absorbing organ. If it goes in your skin, you may as well put it in your mouth. Right? That's the next one. Then we have to look at um, uh, vitamin mineral deficiencies. Right? Do we have deficiencies in what we're doing or consuming? Now that comes back to food and food quality, obviously. Right? If we're eating better food, we're going to have more nutrient-rich food, which is a big, big piece of things. So we have to keep an eye on that. Um, but if you're vitamin mineral deficient, your body doesn't have the ability to produce, doesn't have the cofactors to perform certain chemical reactions that it needs to keep you healthy, to heal your tissues, to whatever. The final piece is microbial imbalances. These neighborhoods of microbiomes throughout the body, if they are imbalanced, you will be inflamed. If you are inflamed, you will be sick. You will have this disease. If you have these diseases, doctors will give you something to mask the symptoms. It's numbing cream for the thorn in your hand. They're not looking for the thorn. So we have to go back through food, chemical, and toxins. We have to look at vitamins and mineral deficiencies, and we have to look at microbe or bacterial imbalances. If we can get those four things down, everything else tends to heal itself. You fix those, the gut's no longer leaky. The gut can repair. The immune system can chill and relax. 70% of your immune system's in your gut. That's where your immune cells are grown and matured and sent throughout the body. And so if that's dysfunctional, so is your immune system. We fix those four things, the body can often just feel or uh, heal and fix itself very easily. And just, just kind of finally, because I had heard that somebody was mentioning that your blood, when you do a kind of test on the blood, that that kind of lets you know the better foods that are suitable for you, that were all different. Is that true? Or what's your thoughts on that one? Yeah, so there's actually a book called Eat Right for Your Blood Type. And that talks about the blood type diet based on what your blood type is. Here's the foods you should be eating. There's arguments made for genetics. Like I'm Scandinavian descent. And so Scandinavia over the last thousands of years, a lot of wild game, maybe it's bear, maybe it's moose and deer and elk. And I do really, really well with red meat. So maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's not. I don't think the evidence is conclusive enough. And the main reason being for a lot of the stuff and people always say, well, show me the randomized controlled double blind studies and then I'll believe you. Well, here's who pays for those studies, big pharma. 
Here's who funds those studies and the researchers, big pharma. Here's who makes money from the research from that study, big pharma. And so if you're coming in here and you're getting all this research, the only way people are paying for these things, unless they're a volunteer organization where they put their own money up, which means it takes way longer, there's no money to be made from the results of that study. Therefore, it doesn't get done. It's the same reason you get studies. You have to look at the uh, conflicts of interest. Well, they'll say, oh, aspartame is fine and sugar is fine. Well, guess who paid for that? Coca-Cola paid for that study to say sugar is fine and aspartame is fine. Um, and so they take certain things, they manipulate the science down, they leave certain things out. So they get, they basically manufacture their own result. Um, and so I don't always rely on studies. I rely on anecdotal and clinical evidence. How does it work in the people we work with? How does it help? And that's very important because we can no longer trust the science, unfortunately. No, excellent. Listen, Josh, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. You might let people know how they can get in contact with you. Yeah, easiest way to find me. Um, I'm in Canada. I do work all over the world. You can find the podcast, information, get some help, all at gutsolution.ca. Um, again, you can find anything of information you need. You can contact us, ask us a question, check out the podcast, find the links there. Everything is through gutsolution.ca. I'll make sure I put the links below in the audio, the video. And I just encourage the listeners to actually check out the podcast, but make sure you give them a five-star rating as well, because it really helps and give them a review, because that means it gets more in the hands. And we want to get people off the mids and more on the natural stuff and get cured, because there is cures. I mean, you've mentioned about the yes. girl, the 57-year-old that got off something like 27 meds or something like that. I mean, that's that's incredible. Like So, yeah. So thank you very much, Josh. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem. So that's all for the Speaking Podcast. You'll find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. Until next week, take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Be sure to give us a thumbs up, five-star rating, and share with your friends. And you'll find all my shows with the QR code or bio.link forward slash podcaster, as well as my podcast coaching. And I'd like to thank my sponsor, danielpacker.com, helping people with anxiety, stress, and addictions. He's got a 90% success rate, and you only pay if you're successful. Also, if you'd like to go on a podcasting tour, I can help you do that. And if you're interested in sponsorship, you can contact me on my bio.link forward slash podcaster. Until next week, take care.